0: Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. It is session 50 tonight. This is our 50th class session of this series, and I remember, I seem to remember joking that it was gonna take us, you know, more than fifty sessions to get through the Lord of the Rings. And uh here we are about halfway through chapter nine after 50 sessions, uh, but it's all good. Um i uh I hope that you guys will um uh, will let me know one thing I just wanted to kind of warn you about in advance I'm experimenting with a new piece of audio software sort of audio routing software tonight, so my hope is that you know you're hearing everything as usual uh and uh if uh if anything is kind of wonky tell me uh so just just asking for your help there um Okay, so uh, 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 first I wanted to start off by uh, thanking everybody who either watched or ran along with me uh, in my trip to Mordor this past Saturday. I had a great time. Of course, I started in the form of a chicken, didn't quite... I got ambushed by this stealth mumak, right? This mumak came out of nowhere, man, and trampled me. Um, So... It was, it was, but it was fine because as I was explaining on Twitter afterwards, sightseeing. Way more important than survival. I mean, that's pretty much a rule uh, for me when I'm doing lotro streams. So, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I, I not big into self preservation. Uh, a little peek at the roof of Osgiliot's was totally worth the mortality of my chicken, <laughs> and it was fine. Um, because, yeah, Valora, you're absolutely right. Uh, Mumak are, are they're very stealthy. They can sneak up on you like no- like nobody's business. But anyway, it was fine. Wigan uh, resumed human. Form and um, and I, I, I did make it to Mordor, so I did get to go all the way. It was great. I saw the 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 camp of the captains uh, as they're getting ready to assault the Black Gates. I got to see the Black Gates themselves. I went into Mordor and all the way down through uh, through Dune. We I, I climbed up to uh, on uh, on Mount Doom itself. Really, really neat. So um, I, I think the inside of Mordor is really fascinating. One of the things that I'm really looking forward to when we get, uh, when we, when I get a uh, slightly higher level, uh, Wigan is too low level to do too much, exp- uh, exploring, uh, randomly around lest he get pounced upon and slaughtered. But, um, but anyway, I, 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 I could see them from a distance and I'm really looking forward to what they do with the Numenorean structures, which Sauron has taken over, right? Uh, looking at like the different architectural levels of that, looking at, you know, sort of like the, the Numenorean under And then, you know, the uses that Sauron is, and his, uh, orcs are putting it to. It's going to be really, really neat. To, it was fun just to even just see that from a distance, actually, some of the Numenorean structures uh, that have been repurposed uh, by Sauron. So I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to the way that they sort of have built that story and, and the way that they flesh out those areas in that way. Um, so anyway, so that's... Um, I I, I I quite enjoyed Mordor. I'm looking forward to Northern Mirkwood, which they're gonna be releasing soon. Uh, and I'm sure I'll do we'll do another uh exploratory trip into uh into Northern Mirkwood too when we get there. So anyway, uh so again, thanks to everybody who did that. The uh the the, the video is on our Twitch channel, we'll be posting it to uh, uh to, to YouTube as well. Uh so that'll be fun. Anyway, uh, just a couple quick um a, a couple quick uh, announcements. First, I wanted to uh, make sure to remind everybody that we're I'm doing the uh, War of the Ring. We're doing uh, volume eight of the history of Middle Earth, volume three of the history of the Lord of the Rings. Um, we did Helm's Deep last week, and oh my goodness, I am telling you, if you have never read this book, and a lot of people don't read these books, uh, which is totally uh, understandable, but if you've never read this before, you totally ha- you should absolutely go and go to YouTube and watch last week. Video where I went through the sort of the highlights of the original draft material of Helm's Deep. My goodness, holy cow, the original version of the Battle of Helm's Deep is so exciting! Oh my gosh, my f- there are so many moments that I that that he ended up cutting out, he ended up kind of going in a different direction with the Battle of Helm's Deep. And I love the Battle of Helm's Deep, but wow, the original version completely uh, blows me away. So uh, I just I can't recommend that enough. If you if you you know are, are at all a Helms Deep fan like I am, uh, and this week we're going to be looking at uh, the initial encounter with Saruman, the and uh, the the sort of the development of the ideas of the Ents and their interactions with Saruman and their role there and everything. So. Uh, that's uh, that's that's this week, little slightly less epic than the Battle of Helm's Deep, but uh, but still really fun to see how these how the uh, the, the stories uh, develop there. So anyhow, that's going to be tomorrow, Wednesday evening, ten p.m. Uh, will be our second session on the War of the Ring, and then Thursday night I'm doing a special session. I'm I am appearing. I'm I'm being. I am a member of the panel uh, in the Mythgard Movie Club, which is going to be talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. Um, And because uh, this, you know, we just did, uh, I just did the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, in the Mythgard Academy. We read through the book and we talked about the the original audio drama and uh, the radio drama. And now we're going to be talking about the film with uh some of the panel uh, some of the the regular panelists of the Mythgard Movie Club. So that's going to be t- uh Thursday night at 8:30 p.m. um and that will be uh broadcast on Twitch and you can also fi- you can join our go to webinar session there as well and everything. So uh go to signumuniversity.org and scroll down a little bit and you'll be able to see the event uh page uh for that so you can get all the information you need on our Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie discussion on Thursday night 8:30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, uh, good. And the, I think, let's see, was that, was that it? Was that all I wanted to talk about? I think that was all I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, 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 that's good. Just a reminder, the last thing, just a reminder, I am going to be out next week. Um, so, um, so, don't forget, I'll be I'll be I'll be away all next week, so there'll be no exploring Lord of the Rings, no uh, Mythgard Academy next week. I'm going to be missing both of my next two uh Grifflet sessions because I'll be gone both this coming Friday and the Friday after that. Um, so uh, I. I just wanted to remind you i'm gonna i'm going away it's a sort of a little kind of family retreat thing so i'll be I'll be away with my family for the next week uh having a good time kind of recharging and then I'll be back in uh March for another fun month of class discussion and stuff so anyway all right so let us jump uh let us jump into uh back into the text here uh today one really quick um One really quick notes and queries uh, 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 slide at the beginning here um, uh, tonight. And I have to admit, although this one is very short, uh, I will freely confess that this completely blew my mind. Totally blew my mind. I mean, my mind was blown. Oh, yeah. Yeah an important new acquaintance. I have optimistically titled this class because I am optimistically hoping we're going to get to Strider tonight, of course, which I think we will, because it's only like two slides in. So who knows? Uh, but anyway, okay. Um, Saxo Runesinger, awesome name asks, is there any textual evidence that Bob of the Prancing Pony is a hobbit? And I was just staring at this question suddenly doubting my entire worldview. (laughs) Because, okay, I will admit, I've always my entire life assumed that Bob was a hobbit. Always. Always assumed that Bob was a hobbit. From my earliest years, Knob and Bob, the hobbit servants at the Prancing Pony, was like my assumption, right? And, you know, so he has this question. I'm like, of course Bob's a hobbit. What kind of question is that? And then I'm like, no, darn it. No, there is no textual evidence that Bob is a hobbit. I, there is none. Uh, I, 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 I. There, it's there's 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 no proof. There's a there's an utter lack of evidence. The only piece of evidence that indirectly suggests that Bob is a Hobbit is the fact that his name <laughs> rhymes with Knob. Now Knob is explicitly a Hobbit, right? You know because he's the one who comes. You know that he's described as a Hobbit, uh, and he's the one who comes in and is amazed with. You know when he sees the how. You know he's very interested when he sees the Hobbits from the Shire. Um, we have he's the one whom, uh, uh, whom Butterbur calls Wooly Footed. Right, he's a woolly footed slow coach in the Fellowship of the Ring in the Return of the King uh, Butterbur is going to call him uh, a woolly pated ninny uh, so the curly hair on his head and the curly hair on his feet Nob is explicitly Nob is very Hobbit right? but um, uh, Bob is not there's no direct evidence that Bob is a Hobbit um, it's He's just, he's just not. <laughs> he's here, now, but that doesn't prove that he isn't a hobbit. There just is. It doesn't say that he is, right? So I, I now, and, 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 so this made me then kind of question, you know, my life as I look back and, and I'm, because I've always, 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 always pictured Bob to be a hobbit. I mean, it's always, I never even, I've, it's like literally today is the first day in my life I've ever even questioned the, the 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 possibility of Bob's being a Hobbit, um, and I'm 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 so I'm 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 like you know going back through my life and trying to figure like why so what why have I always believed uh, that Bob is a Hobbit, um, and uh, the my uncomfortable answer to that question is simply the fact that it rhymes with knob. Like, that's the only thing uh, that led me to believe that. Um, I... uh, Yeah, so I... um, I think this means... Now... It doesn't say that he's not, either. There's no evidence that he's a human, either. Um, The only kind of indirect evidence that you could point to to suggest that Bob is human is that he's an ostler, and an ostler would be kind of an easier... I mean, he works with the horses, which would be sort of an easier job for one of the big folk than for a hobbit. Um, I guess. I mean, yeah. I suppose so. Uh, That certainly doesn't prove uh, that he's one of the big folk, but I guess you could kind of build a case for it from that. Um, I, I, um, at the same time, you know, there was some discussion, uh, you know, on the, the thread when Saxo Runesinger posted this mind blowing question uh, on the discussion board, there was some discussion later on in the thread about, um, I, the so when in the return of the king member bobs not there cuz he goes he goes home uh uh to his to his folks to his to his people uh he goes home to his family at night uh now you know in the new in the in the troubled times at Bree, no suggestion that, i mean that's not clear evidence one way or the other right um that um that Bob is a hobbit or human being, but could equally apply in either case. Um, But one person, I forget who it was, was bringing up the fact that um, Butterbert mentions about, since Bob's not there, that Gandalf is going to, you know, want to take care of Shadowfax himself. Um, The implication being that, you know, Bob is, uh, Nob can't do it. Because he's too small and Shadowfax is huge, um, uh, he can take care of the hobbit's ponies, but he can't take care of Shadowfax. He can't reach the saddle, so uh, you know Gandalf needs to do it himself. And this is Butterbur's polite way of saying, uh, "My ostler's out. Can you please help with that and take care of your own horse, Gandalf?" Um, but I don't believe so. Actually, I, that I am. I, I find myself unconvinced by that argument for two reasons. First of all, I don't think it is physical convenience, or I don't think that. Butterbur is sort of discreetly and politely asking for Gandalf's assistance or sort of indirectly apologizing for his lack of service at the inn um, by saying to Gandalf, you know, uh, and you'll be wanting to take care of, you know, of, of, of your horse yourself, Gandalf. I think he's doing that because, yeah, J.J., exactly. Shadowfax wouldn't stand for anybody else to touch him, right? Um, Gandalf will want to see to Shadowfax himself because Shadowfax only talks to Gandalf, right? I mean, remember, Shadowfax wouldn't even let any of the other Rohirrim handle him. He was off, like, running wild in the field, uh, you know, after they arrived— Nobody, nobody could could stable him. Um, he just went, took off, running across the field, and Gandalf had to whistle for him, right? And and you went know, and was gonna was gonna was gonna gift him to him, right? So. Um, I think that, anyway, it's interesting when Gandalf delegates Pippin to go check on Shadow Facts, uh, in Minas Tirith. You may remember Gandalf asks him on the first morning that they're there, could you go to the stables and, and, uh, and check and make sure everything is okay with Shadowfax, Facts, right? And it's like he's been delegated by Gandalf, so Shadowfax Facts will talk to him, right? But, um, but it's kind of an issue. Um, anyway, so I, I don't, so I, I, I always understood, given the whole, like, only the Kings of the Mark can ride the Mayaris and, you know, he won't let anyone else handle him. So I always assumed that that remark by Butterbur is a reference to the fact, because this is, of course, the second time that Gandalf with Shadowfax has been to the Prancing Pony. Um And I presume that that always, always assumed that that meant that the first time he was there, he insisted on taking care of Shadowfax himself, even when Bob was on the premises, because he's not just, you know... Uh, gonna toss Shadowfax to a to a to a country ostler and say take care of it. Shadowfax wouldn't have it. Um, so I think that so Matt, I think that Butterbur knows that from the last time, right? He remembers Gandalf made a point, a big point about like I'm gonna take care of Shadowfax myself. And Butterbur recalling that just says, oh, and Gandalf, I I assume you'll be wanting to take care of, of Shadowfax yourself, right? Um, because that's what he did last time. So uh, I think. Um, I, and Harnuth, you're absolutely right. Uh Shadowfax, of course, has carried Pippin to Minas Tirith, so he is gonna know and be familiar with uh uh with Pippin by then as far as like this is somebody clearly whom Gandalf has uh uh has brought in, right? Um anyway, yeah, so so I don't think it's a convenience thing, and I certainly don't really take it as evidence, besides which, could a hobbit you know, be an ostler to full-size horses. Sure, yeah. I mean, he'd need a step stool or something, and he'd, he'd need a little ladder. But I, he could do it, right? I mean, you know, whatever. Um, so, um, anyhow, anyhow, I, uh, I, I. So, I, I don't find that, as I say, a particularly compelling argument. I really don't see any, you know, sort of clear, uh, obvious. Compelling evidence one way or the other, it doesn 't really say who bob is, and this is actually an interestingly indirect an interesting and indirect piece of evidence about the kind of mixing of the races that we were talking about before right um about the the you know the the two different peoples in brie uh, because the fact that it never even specifies right um uh, yeah, Galandar, that's exactly right. Galandar says Bob may be the only character in the Lord of the Rings that we can have this debate about, given the unique living arrangements in Bree. Exactly. Nowhere else are we going to be asking, is this guy a hobbit or is he human? Um, so, yeah, anyway, I so I don't know. I'm still going to carry on thinking that Bob is a hobbit and I'm not going to apologize for it either. Um... And I know the, because their names rhyme thing is kind of weak. <laughs> as, 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 I mean, like when, when I was really forced to, you know, consider the ground upon which I was standing, I will freely confess that it is fairly shaky. Uh, but, um, I, but that's kind of what I got, actually. And I don't see any stronger evidence uh, that he's a human, um, Uh, So, you know, the the fact that they're spoken of as like a unit, you know, Knob and Bob, um, uh, suggests to me that there's, you know, the fact that no distinction is made at all suggests to me that they probably are both hobbits. So I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm going to still carry, carry on thinking that, but Saxo RuneSinger, thank you for asking the question and opening my eyes to the fact that I've been taking that absolutely for granted, uh, for my entire life. And, um... Uh, and, and, uh, you know, pointing out this, uh, this, this, this particular problem. So anyway, there there is my wholly unsatisfactory answer to, well, no, my answer is satisfactory. No, there's no, there's no solid evidence, uh, but that's totally fine. Tony suggests that, uh, you know, a Hobbit narrator would probably tell you he, he was human if he was it does kind of seem to me, Tony, that especially given that Knob, whom we meet first, right, of the, of the, of the servants of the prince, we're the only two of them ever named, right? And the first one that we meet is a hobbit. And then we, there's, there's the other servant whose name rhymes with the hobbit servant. Um, and it's never specified that the other one is, is, is one of the big folk. Um, I, yeah, that's why, again, I sort of, operate under the assumption that I mean I think that those are the exactly the factors that led me to think well if it doesn't say then he's he's probably a hobbit right but um, anyway uh, yeah so we'll see uh, but again if you if, if you are in the you know Bob is one of the big folk people, uh, it's okay. I can still, I, I, I still accept you. I think we can still be friends. Uh, it's fine. It's good. Um, we can all, we can all, you know, come to a mutual understanding, I think. But um, <laughs> there, there we are. Okay. Um, uh, well, see. So Sharon, that's a really interesting question. Uh, Sharon is asking, is there anything from the histories, you know, from the from the manuscript, like from *The Return of the Shadow*, that suggested? And here's the problem, Sharon. Of course, in the early drafts, everybody's a hobbit, right? Bree was this, was a hobbit town. Um, Butterbur was a Hobbit. Everybody was a Hobbit. Uh, I mean the Prancing Pony, 100% populated by Hobbits, uh, in the very first drafts. Um, Trotter, Strider was a Hobbit, right? Uh, as well. Everybody were Hobbits. So, um, uh, so when it gets changed, you know, some of them are made, uh, are made, of course, humans eventually. Um, but, um, uh, but it doesn't necessarily help us to decide whether or not Bob in this version is has been made into a human again. Um, yeah, Amethorn Strider was totally a hobbit who wore wooden shoes. And his name was Trotter, not Strike T-R-O-T-T-E-R, not Strider. Um, and that was true for a long time. Even after he became uh, first a, a man and then a Dunedain and then the uh, long lost king, he still um, was called Trotter. Uh, for the longest time, but yeah, Tolonio Aragorn was a horse briefly. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was a fun period of his existence, but that passed fairly quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Amathorn. It's really cool. I get. I, I. 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 strongly recommend uh, the Return of the Shadow and the Treason of Isengard discussions that I've already done. They're long. I mean, it's like sixteen or seventeen two hours. To, I mean, not by exploring the Lord of the Ring standards, um, but. Uh, you know, I've got their two-hour sessions and uh, sixteen, seventeen sessions each for the Return of the Shadow and the Treason of Isengard. But we go through those books and look at uh, the development of Tolkien's uh, of Tolkien's story. Some pretty trippy stuff uh, and really, really, really interesting things. Um, okay, so yeah, Gallandart, you're right. The one thing I think we can all agree on is that Bob does not have wings. So that uh, at least is something that we can always we can always remember. All right. Let's get back to the common room now. Okay, so we had just talked about... So we had uh, 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 Frodo with his interesting cover story about writing a book, right? Um, And his relationship with the other hobbits. And uh, then we... Shift to shift sort of outwards, and especially uh, to the men and dwarves, the non-hobbits in the room. The men and dwarves were mostly talking of distant events, and telling news of a kind that was becoming only too familiar. There was trouble away in the south, and it seemed that the men who had come up the greenway were on the move, looking for lands where they could find some peace. The Bree folk were sympathetic, but plainly not very ready to take a large number of strangers into their little land. "'One of the travellers, a squint-eyed, ill-favoured fellow, was foretelling that more and more people would be coming north in the near future. "'If room isn't found for them, they'll find it for themselves. They've a right to live, same as other folk,' he said loudly. "'The local inhabitants did not look pleased at the prospect. "'The hobbits did not pay much attention to all this, as it did not at the moment seem to concern hobbits. "'Big folk could hardly beg for lodgings in hobbit holes.' They were more interested in Sam and Pippin, who were now feeling quite at home, and were chatting gaily about events in the Shire. Pippin roused a good deal of laughter with an account of the collapse of the roof of the town hall in Mickle Delving. Will Whitfoot, the mayor, and the fattest hobbit in the Westfarthing, had been buried in chalk, and came out like a flowered dumpling. But there were several questions asked that made Frodo a little uneasy. One of the Breelanders, who seemed to have been in the Shire several times, wanted to know where the Underhills lived and who they were related to. Uh, and by the way, you know, as we, we kind of mentioned this last time, right? But, uh, you know, one of the things we can plainly see from the discussion of how uh, our four hobbits behave in the Inn at Bree is that they're really not good at going undercover, right? Um, And one of the things that immediately becomes plain is that if Frodo is going to pretend, you know, taking a traveling name is one thing, Right. But if you're going to introduce yourself by a traveling name uh, to other hobbits, you at best not only make up a name for yourself, but make up a convincing genealogy. Right. Because they're going to want to know about your family history. And it's made even more awkward by the fact that he meets uh, other underhills. Right. Who who, uh, you know, assume that they're related. So, you know, it doesn't it seems that Frodo hasn't really thought this. um, um thought this through quite as fully as perhaps he should have um, yeah yeah um, yeah good now let's focus on the first paragraph here uh, first about the uh, the distant events and the news of a kind that was becoming only too familiar. Um, the one of the things that we see here of course is the intrusion of the outside world. Upon the land of Bree, and as I suggest in my in my uh, my slide title here, they cannot forever shut them out. Uh, is reminiscent of I was reminded, of course, of the conversation between Gildor and um, uh, and Frodo, right about how the the Shire hobbits have tried to shut the world, just to, to you know have tried to shut the world out and Gildor says you can shut yourself in but you can't forever uh, shut it out um, and the brelanders seem to be having the same experience here right um, the outside world is already coming the outside world has come to the shire in the form of the black riders which is pretty scary form uh, uh, for it in, in in which for it to come but um but even the brelanders are um are now, they're, they're struggling with it in, in a different form okay the black riders are there too but uh, they're having these different these different issues, right? And so, what exactly are there issues, right? The issues are the strangers that are coming up the greenway. There's all these refugees, right? Um, and it's clear that it's kind of mixed, right? Um, So, Tony, it's a great question. Tony says, in in the uh, timeline, is this due to the attacks on Gondor that Boromir and Faramir fought in? No, these are nearer. These are nearer. Um, These would seem to be the people who are being displaced and who are coming north and ending up here at Bree seem to to be displaced not by uh, Sauron, but by Saruman in fact. Um, and, of course, we know that... Now, Gallandar was just asking the same thing. Do we know where they come from? We're not told, specifically. Um, but they've come up from the south, and I can't imagine they've come all the way from Gondor or Rohan. Um, there's no real... Um, there's no real indication of that, actually. So... So what? Right? So where can they come from? Most likely, they're coming up from just further south... Right. Um, But where why are they coming at all? Right. They're coming because of the unrest that Saruman is creating in his army recruitment and things like that. We know Saruman is sending people into the north. Right. Some of the people. Right. So some of the folks who have ended up at Bree, uh, as we as we're told, are honest refugees. But some of them are, in fact, spies and servants of Saruman who are coming up uh, to stir up trouble. Right. So, yeah, uh, uh, Pontine and Tony. Yeah. And uh, and Wyeth, Northern Dunland. That seems to be where the where these people are coming from. Um, are they Dunlendings? I doubt it. I would think that uh, they would look the Dunlendings would probably look stranger to the Brelanders than these people seem to. They're called strangers, um, but they they're not. They're not. They don't talk about them like wild men. Wild men is what what the Dunlendings are called consistently. Later on, you know, when we meet them at the Battle of Helm's Deep and stuff. Um, so I doubt that they're actually Dunlendings, but there seem to be some people. Remember, there's Sarnford, right? Which was a which was a city, and I mean, it's it's not like that whole area has been mostly abandoned, but I guess possibly not completely abandoned, right? Um. Uh <coughs> Man of Rohan asks uh w- would they look stranger than goblin men Well yes they would actually I think because the goblin men who have come north as spies of Saruman are specifically being incognito right Um uh I mean they're they're they are trying to blend in with the others um the reason that the Dunlendings are called wild men I be- I mean I assume is due to their uh due to their you know they're like they dress very differently you know they look uh you know their 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 clothing looks more primitive um I think actually Lotro does this really well you know uh, you know they wear like skins and they're tattooed and things they just they look alien they look you know they it's not it's not weird right it's not strange to think that people like from the Rohirric perspective would see these people and and call them wild men right and 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 characterize them that way um but um Anyway, so I, that I think um, would seem to work. So uh, Tony, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that the the story within Lotro about Dunland and what Saruman is doing, in, in Dunland, there's very, very little direct evidence about what Saruman is doing there. Um, but it seems to me a very, um, a very logical um, extrapolation. Yeah, uh, uh, as Davis on Twitter was just saying, the the Dunlendings are are kind of picked ish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because sort of Celtic, um, that too is how Lotro has gone with them. And that seems to me entirely sensible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. They are as the Celts to the Romans or Anglo-Saxons, Tony. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. If the if the if the Gondorians are kind of like the Romans and the and the and the Rohirrim are kind of like the Anglo-Saxons, the uh, the the Dunland, the Dunlandings are kind of like the Picts uh, 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 or like the Irish even. Exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Um, So anyway, so it's just it's very hard for me to imagine that somebody who is at that kind of a cultural remove from the culture that we see in Brie would not make a little bit more of a sensation. Um, if anything, the sort of the squint-eyed ill, the fact that the, the, you know, these goblin men from, from Isengard who are among them are called ill favored, right? That's not complimentary, right? It means he's ugly. Uh, he's squint-eyed, ill favored. Um, but it's still actually kind of kind for, in a sense, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's not, they don't rear back from him like, oh, there's something very strange about him. They're like, okay, this dude is not handsome, right? Uh, but again, that's kind of, a, it seems to me, strikes me as a kind of a, a, a almost, I don't know if generous is quite the right word. But it's a tactful way of describing him, right? They don't... Um, they don't look at him and they say like he is strange, he is alien and almost certainly uh, uh, hostile. Um, yeah, Tony, uh, the people coming up from the south, the refugees. D- I I would assume they would be more like the Woodmen or the or the Beornings, somebody like that. Um, that seems to me sensible. Presumably, they are you know descendants of the people who lived there under the sort of shield of Arnor. Uh, you know, as they were um, in that area. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah. And Davis, no, I think ill favored just means ugly. I mean, like his face is ugly. He's this, this is, this is a homely chap, right? Um, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's what ill favored, uh, means, but again, it's a, it's a relatively tactful, uh, way of saying that this guy is really, really ugly. Um, Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. So, anyhow, I think that the reaction of the Brelanders to the people coming up is interesting, right? In that it's neither they go neither they they have a kind of a balanced um, a kind of balanced reaction to them. Right. On the one hand, they're they're not ready to take a large number of strangers into their little land. They're clearly distrustful of strangers and they're not excited about strangers coming in. But at the same time, they're not like totally xenophobic either. Right. They're not like outlanders. You know, uh, uh, you're not wanted here. Um, They are sympathetic. Right. Um, And they're you know they seem to be sort of they seem to be generally accepting of them again they don't treat them like they don't treat them hostile you know there's no hostility right um they welcome they you know they 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 come to the pony right and they're staying at the pony they're in the common room um uh but they're so you know but at the same time they're not just like ah oh, we love and accept everyone um so I think it's interesting. They're kind of, they're sort of middle ground there. We do see that the Brelanders, they're isolated. Right. Um, so they are sort of distrustful of strangers, but they also seem to be a little bit more comfortable with the idea. than, for instance, Shire Hobbits would be right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Tony Butterbur does certainly seem to appreciate the business. Um, you know, he's, uh, uh, he does not sound dis- He definitely kind of talks about it in that, in that, in that context, right? Um, uh, yeah, J.J., as long as they don't make trouble, they're okay with it. And they do seem to worry that trouble is going to come of this, right? Again, they, they're not wholly unsuspicious. They're not totally welcoming. They're, they're, they're not comfortable with the strangers entirely, but they're not hostile either, um... And uh, yeah, they do. They do have a gate watch at night. Um, I, mad Violinist, I agree. That does suggest, you know, a little bit of caution. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, Tony. They would be less surprised by strangers because of their because of their location. Yeah. Um, and yes, Blue Wizard, I do think it's fair to say that the appearance of Frodo's company uh, is a big deal. Less because they're strangers than because they're from the Shire, and that's uncommon now. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and in some ways, you can see that the the hobbits it's it's a, it's an it's clearly an especially big deal among the hobbits of Bree, right? Um, notice that I I can see. Uh, I mean, I think that we can detect a clear sort of hobbit bias, right? We've talked some. Places about like where can we see the evidence of who wrote the story? You know, Frodo and Sam's writing the story or whatever. Um, But here, I think that we can, right? Um, When they talk about the company in the common room and the welcome that they receive, it's clear that it's primarily the hobbits. That are welcoming them. Uh, The hobbits are taking them to their hearts. You know, the underhills are taking them to their heart like long lost, uh, uh, like a a long lost cousin. Right. Um, The conversations that they're having are clearly conversations with other hobbits. This paragraph suggests the men and the dwarves are still kind of talking among themselves. Right. you know, they while the hobbits are all the, the hobbits are not talking of distant events and telling news of a kind that was becoming all too familiar. Right, um, the hobbits are f- talking to Mary to, to sorry not to Mary to Sam and to Pippin and to Frodo and you know talking about the Shire because they're really excited about this. So a sensation has been created among the hobbits, but the men and the dwarves seem to be having their normal conversation. Right, um, so and 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 notice that the hobbits kind of consider the refugee issue irrelevant to them, at least a little bit um, irrelevant to them, because, uh, you know, like, they can't, the refugees can't uh, 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 let's see, what's the um, oh, sorry, it's in the next paragraph there, right. It didn't seem to concern hobbits, big folk could hardly beg for lodgings in hobbit holes, right? So the, it's not, not relevant to them. A visit from the Shire, though, that's very relevant to them, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, good, okay, um, so yeah, the Hobbits don't even pay much attention, because they think that it's, that it's irrelevant, um, which shows they're not really interested in what's happening in the outside world at all for itself, right? And perhaps even the Brelanders, even the men, are only really concerned in as much as they're worried about how it's going to impact them. Are a lot of people going to be coming up? Are there, is, are there going to be land issues, right? Are they are going to want to settle here? Are they going to, you know, are they going to, you know, uh, move on, move, you know, are you going to have people building a home on their land, right? I mean, you know, that's what they're worried about, Um yeah, yeah. Um Yes, and Matt, you're right, the uh the, the Breland Hobbits view the Shire as a as a colony, right? So yeah, absolutely. It's it's an, it's an especial curiosity to uh, uh to meet Shire Hobbits for that reason. Okay, let's keep going. Suddenly, here we go, right? We made it. Suddenly Frodo noticed that a lo- that a strange-looking, weather-beaten man, sitting in the shadows near the wall, was also listening intently to the hobbit talk. He had a tall tankard in front of him and was smoking a long-stemmed pipe, curiously carved. His legs were stretched out before him, showing high boots of supple leather that fitted him well, but had seen much wear and were now caked with mud. A travel-stained cloak of he- heavy, dark-green cloth was drawn close about him. And in spite of the heat of the room, he wore a hood that overshadowed his face, but the gleam of his eyes could be seen as he watched the hobbits. Who is that? Frodo asked, when he got a chance to whisper to Mr. Butterbur. I don't think you introduced him. Okay. Um... What do we notice in the description of Strider? Strider right what does the narrator emphasize right um, uh what does the narrator emphasize uh when we meet strider right strange looking weather beaten man his weather beatenness right is one of the primary elements of him uh he is um Good, lots of great observations here. His clothes are worn, uh, but from use, not from poor care. Yes, exactly, JJ. It doesn't look slovenly, right? He's not just untidy. Um, he's been around, right? Um, the mud that's caked on his boots, the stains on his cloak, um, even his posture, right, as with his legs stretched out in front of him, suggesting that he's resting from... A lot of walking, right? Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it, it shows his... Uh, um, how much he's been around, right? Um, JJ points out he's not minding his own affairs, uh, so he's not a Bree man, yes. And Marianne, I agree. The fact that he's wearing the cloak, the fact that he's apparently trying to conceal his face... Is interesting, right? Um, it's a little bit odd that he is not just—not only does he have his cloak on, but he's wrapped it around himself. Um, in spite of the heat of the room, it's a hot room, and he's dressed. He's his dress is inappropriate, right? Um, he looks—he um, looks shady right um, there's something strange about this guy um he does he seems to be he seems to be trying to uh hide himself And yes the curiously carved pipe right um now i agree that we have the the fact that his clothes are are good right um lincoln was pointing uh was pointing to to this uh, uh tony was pointing to this um The fact that he, 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 again, he doesn't seem to be poor. Uh, His clothes are worn. Uh, Nothing he's wearing is new, Um, but he's not poor either, right? Again, so this is not just uh, uh, this is this is not just a tramp, right? Um, He has a heavy dark green cloak. Um, His boots are of supple leather that fitted him well. you know and very well broken and then there's that pipe right so he's smoking that seems to be not unusual in Bree right um smoking is fairly general in Bree so uh the mere fact of his smoking is not strange but Frodo immediately notices his strange pipe right he's got a strange and fancy pipe we don't know what that means right um or what's, but again, it suggests that there's something interesting about him, right? Where did he get, why does he have such a, such a weird pipe? Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Doug, I, I also love the phrase, the, the gleam of his eyes, um, his eyes gleaming within the shadow of his hood, right? As he watches the hobbits, he has a very intense interest in the hobbits. Um, that also, by the way, seems to suggest the way that the, the men in the Hobbits in the common room are kind of keeping to themselves, right? Um, the fact that one of the men in the room is watching them and listening intently is noteworthy, right? Most of them are not. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, now, Blue Wizard is asking a very sensible question. Um If the regulars already know who he is, what purpose does the secretiveness serve? Um, My answer to that would be to to make sure that the spies of Saruman and or the servants of the Black Riders who he believes have uh you know suborned some of the breed town locals uh to uh be their spies for them uh don't know that he's in town right it's not that he's trying to remain in uh uh incognito like that nobody in the common room will know who he is um but it does seem like he's kind of hoping not to be noticed uh by Everybody like that, that they maybe won't even notice that that Strider is there or won't recognize that that won't won't know who he is. Um, Again, not because they've never seen him before, um, but because he doesn't want them to know that he is currently um, present. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Man of Rohan, yes, you were saying uh, you were saying that that before. Exactly, exactly. Um, remember what he is going to be saying in the next chapter about how the enemy has set traps for him before, right? I mean, he uh, he clearly is suspicious. Uh, he will say as much. He's suspicious of some of these Southerners himself. He thinks that some of them are spies, and he's right, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Matt points out that the cloak also obscures the sword, which is important, right? So that he doesn't, uh, because going armed in Bree Town would be unusual. Um, so, yeah, I agree that that's also an important thing. He is wearing a sword, which, of course, nobody knows is broken. Uh, but still, you know, he has a sword belted on. So uh, people would make uh, understandable and alarming assumptions uh, if he was, bearing, you know, if he was openly wearing a sword. In the common room of the Prancing Pony, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so he's the, he's a well-traveled man with good clothes, but but very worn. He has a curious pipe. And intense eyes gleaming under his hood as he is staring at the hobbits. Um, and yes, Tony, you're right that he, Frodo notices him, right? He stands out. Now, the, one of the main reasons that he stands out is that he's staring at them, right? Frodo's very conscious of this. Um, especially, remember, he's been warned, right? Although he's not done a great job of steering clear of spies or keeping a low profile so far, Gandalf did caution him about, you know um how there will be you know the the enemy has many spies and many ways of knowing um yeah yeah um exactly um and yes blue wizard i certainly agree uh uh peter jackson's evocation of this scene was very was very effective i thought i really liked how that was done um Who's that? Frodo asked, when he got a chance to whisper to Mr. Butterbur. I don't think you introduced him, right? Which is an interesting point in itself, right? Um, Butterbur didn't introduce him. They were introduced to the whole company, right? But Butterbur didn't include Strider, which Frodo notices, right? Why didn't he? I'm not sure why. Um, Is it because... Butterbur doesn't trust Strider, and so kind of didn't want to draw attention to him, right? So he just kind of, you know, ignored him, pretended that he wasn't there. Um, yeah, Doug is asking about uh, how does Butterbur hear a whisper? I, I think this is a-, a crowded common room whisper. You know, he's not shouting, um, but um, I-, I doubt he's whispering in a very, very soft voice, because it probably is a loud room. Um, it is possible, Tony, that Strider came in after the introduction and wasn't noticed coming in. That does seem to me very possible. Um, Yeah, yeah. And Erokhab, that's a really good point. Uh, As Marianne says, he has contempt for rangers. That's very clear. And Erokhab says a ranger might not be considered part of the company. Right? Uh, And so he's not not introduced. Presumably, uh, I don't think that Butterbur would necessarily introduce him, w- would introduce the hobbits to everybody in the room. Like, I don't think that Butterbur is, like, playing a, a sort of a, a, a corporate retreat icebreaker game, right, where he's going around the whole room having everybody introduce themselves. Um, so I doubt that he has introduced the squint-eyed southerner either, for instance, right? Um he's introduced the company, right? Um, which means, uh, you know, you, you, he's introducing all the Breetown regulars to them and especially the hobbits, presumably. Um, but he's not going to introduce, you know, he's not going to introduce every random person that he has never seen before. And Strider would count and then not a member of the company. That seems to me to, to, even though he knows him, right? Um, and, but he's not, he's not one of the company, right? He's not, he's not local. Um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly, Tony. Strider is, is neither Norm nor Cliff, right? That's who you get introduced to when you come into Cheers, uh, not like somebody who's just kind of wandered in, um, and especially of whom Butterbur does not approve. Remember, Butterbur is not, is not in league with Strider, um, uh, Butterbur is is distrust actively distrustful of Strider. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. Him? Said the landlord in an answering whisper, cocking an eye without turning his head. I don't rightly know. He is one of the wandering folk. Rangers, we call them. He seldom talks. Not but what he can tell a rare tale when he has the mind. He disappears for a month or a year and then pops up again. He was in and out pretty often last spring, but I haven't seen him about lately. What his right name is I've never heard, but he's known round here as Strider. Goes about at a great pace on his long shanks, though he don't tell nobody what cause he has to hurry. But there's no accounting for east and west, as we say in Bree, meaning the rangers and the shire folk, begging your pardon. Funny you should ask about him. But at that moment, Mr. Butterbur was called away by a demand for more ale, and his last remark remained unexplained. Okay. Um, so, what do we learn from Butterbur's response? Right? Um, he is a frequent visitor to Bree, but not exactly a regular visitor to Bree. Right? He disappears for a month or a year right um and then pops up again pops up again i really like right um it suggests that he's um uh he's not entirely welcome right uh he sort of you know pops up again like a bad penny um, I mean, I don't think that he—I he, he uh, I don't get the sense that Butterbeer looks forward to him coming back. It seems that he more dreads his return. Um, and the uh, he seldom talks, not but what he can tell a rare tale when he has the mind, sounds like a grudging admission slightly on his part, right? That he's like, well, you know, all right, well, I will give him credit. He can tell a rare tale when he has a mind, right? But he doesn't, you know, and then, but there's almost like an implicit, but he doesn't usually have a mind, right? He doesn't, you know, there's, um, um, there's nothing, uh, again, I don't see any, uh, any, any affection for him here. Um, yeah, um, and Brandon, it is interesting that the Brelanders view the Hobbits and the Rangers as proverbially outlandish. Right? There's no accounting for East and West. Right? Those Hobbits of the Shire are strange, and the Rangers of the East are strange. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lady Schmebiach, exactly. He tells good stories, occasionally. Remember, not always. He's not known as a storyteller. People don't look forward to him coming, hoping he's going to tell another story. Again, Butterbert, does justice to him, right? There have been a couple occasions on which he's told stories and they've been rare tales. They've been unusual stories, right? When he has talked. But he doesn't usually talk. He usually keeps to himself. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Lincoln, that's a really great contrast. His relationship to Bree is not like Gandalf's relationship to the Shire. Now, remember, of course, Gandalf's relationship to the Shire is not universally positive, at least not in the opinion of all the inhabitants of the Shire, right? Uh, He is distrusted by many in the Shire. However, (coughs) excuse me, among those he knows, uh, and who know him, he is uh, you know, his his people look forward to him coming right and he has this history of uh coming in and and doing the fireworks displays right um it does not seem to be that same kind of association from butterbur certainly um yeah yeah and yeah Milthalio, i agree the fact that he uh seldom talks is probably something that leads um that leads butterbur to distrust him right you know like who is this guy what is he up to why does he keep coming back where does he um, goes about at a great pace on his long shanks though he don't tell nobody what cause he has to hurry right he's up to something that guy he's up to something but we don't know what it is right he's always he's always going about at a great pace right um, he always seems to be in a hurry and we you know, he's not he's not a traitor he doesn't just seem to be a traveler he just and then he comes in, and then he doesn't say anything, and then he leaves again. Like, what's up with that guy? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Arrowhead says it's uh, it's funny that Butterbur is always himself hurrying, harps on Strider's uh, hurrying about. But see, Butterbur's hurrying for a first of all, Butterbur's hurry is very local, right? It's all generally within the confines of the building, right? But uh, but more there's a purpose for it, right? There's nothing inexplicable about Butterbur being in a hurry, right? Um, what he, He's got a job and he's doing his job, right? What's Strider's job? What's he up to? Again, it's not nothing, right? He's not just loitering, uh, which would be uh, possibly objectionable for other reasons. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and Tony, I have no idea... Why Strider does not usually go on horseback? Why does it why is he usually on foot? Um one can guess. I mean, I if I had to guess, I would say um that uh if I had to guess, I would say it's because he's often going to places where it's hard to take horses, but you know, I we I we don't really know. Um Yeah. Um heh, good. Harnuth says, Strider strides, Butterbur bustles. Yeah, there's a difference between going about at a great pace and just bustling about at a great pace. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Bricktails and a couple other were um, uh, were uh Yes. Yeah, so, uh, sorry. Uh, Brick, Brick Tales and a couple other were talking about the um, uh, last spring reference. Right. Um, that uh, he was in and out pretty often last spring, but I haven't seen him about lately. Um, what was going on last spring? Well, what was going on last spring? Right. Remember, it's 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 autumn. Right. It's it's uh, it's very early October right now um, uh, when the story is happening. So last spring was when Gandalf was in the area, right? Um, uh, yeah, no, so I think, no, the hunt for Gollum would have taken him well away from Bree, right? He would have been gone for a while during the hunt for Gollum. Um, he was working with Gandalf and seems to have been in the area probably he and uh he and Gandalf came back um at around the same time so when when Gandalf shows up and and is talking to Frodo and and having their long conversation and their um remember they're looking towards the summertime um remember the letter that Gandalf leaves for Frodo says that he should leave the shire before the end of July right so um it's it's spring it's you know it's it's in the spring uh when gandalf is in the area and talking to Frodo and they're having their initial discussion there. Yeah, the shadows of the Path, the shadow of the past happens in the spring. Um so he was there. As he's gonna say later on, he just missed Gandalf when Gandalf came by and ended up leaving the letter for Butterburn. Um, So he sort of stepped out for a while. He went about at a great pace on his long shanks to somewhere else for a little while because he thought that Gandalf had it taken care of. Right. And they missed each other. Um, So. um, So anyway, yeah, there's um, uh, there's that, I think, is the explanation for why he he was busy guarding the frontiers of the Shire at that point um, back in the spring. Okay, uh, Kroger is asking, hasn't Strider just learned some of his rangers were killed guarding the South Farthing? Um, probably, yeah. Um, I mean, he will know, he does know of the movements of the Black Riders. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what exactly we know about this, but I mean, he he's certainly aware of that. Um, yeah. Tillian, that is a really interesting point. Tillian says that Butterbur doesn't trust Strider, but he seems to like Gandalf. Um, Butterbur does. Clearly. Butterbur uh, trusts Gandalf. And that's actually, that's really the interesting contrast. Lincoln, you were talking about Gandalf's presence in the Shire. But you're right, but the real contrast, right, is Gandalf's presence at the Bransing Pony. Right? Um, Gandalf and Strider make the clear contrast between how they are received by Butterbur. Butterbur says that he's a good friend, that he considers Gandalf a good friend of his. Um, But Strider, he distrusts entirely. Um, That, I suspect, is... Strider's fine with that. Strider wants to keep a low profile. Um, I think that he does not want to be known. I think he's fine being distrusted by Butterbur. Um, He would rather be distrusted and little-known remember, he doesn't even tell anybody his name, right? You know, um, and that's kind of a strange, you know, what his right name is, I've never heard, Butterbur says, right? It's not that Aragorn has introduced himself as Strider, right? Like, you know, he, he doesn't come in and say, hi, call me Strider. He just hasn't introduced himself at all. He hasn't told anybody what his name is. And so they call him Strider. That's the nickname they have given him. And he's fine with it. He's like, fine, call me Strider, right? Um uh so yeah, anyway, so he he seems to be setting out to keep a very low profile um on uh uh to 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 keep a very low profile on the the uh you know in Brie, right? Um Whereas Gandalf is very open about who he is and comes and hangs out and is friends with Butterbur, and it's, and it's fine, right? Gandalf has no desire to hide himself. Aragorn wants to be inconspicuous. All right. Frodo found that Strider was now looking at him, as if he had heard or guessed all that had been said. Presently, with a wave of his hand and a nod, he invited Frodo to come over and sit by him. As Frodo drew near, he threw back his hood, showing a shaggy head of dark hair flecked with grey, and in a pale, stern face, a pair of keen grey eyes. "'I am called Strider,' he said in a low voice. "'I am very pleased to meet you, Master... Underhill, if old Butterbur got your name right.' "'He did,' said Frodo stiffly. He felt far from comfortable under the stare of those keen eyes. "'Well, Master Underhill,' said Strider, if I were you, I should stop your young friends from talking too much. Drink, fire, and chance meeting are pleasant enough, but, well, this isn't the Shire. There are queer folk about. Though I say it as shouldn't, you may think, he added with a wry smile, seeing Frodo's glance. And there have been even stranger travellers through breed lately, he went on, watching Frodo's face. Okay. Um, yeah, Valoria, I really like, uh, I really like the fact that his very indirect introduction of himself, right? He doesn't say his name is Strider, right? He says, I'm called Strider, right? Which is very true, right? They do call him Strider here, um, but he's playing his cards <laughs> close to the fast and introducing himself that way, right? Um, and yeah, Alexander, it is interesting that Strider doesn't seem to believe. Now, notice that he is showing some skepticism, of Frodo but he's also signaling to him right he's signaling to Frodo i know more than you're telling right uh he's very indirectly saying i know that's not your real name right but he's also not committing himself to how much he actually does know right um so you know he's he's uh it's really interesting how this can kind of work both ways, right? Yeah, it, it, it would sound totally natural if anyone overheard J.J., you're absolutely right. Um, but also, like, so, if Frodo is, an, is a spy, right? If Frodo is an enemy agent setting a trap for Aragorn, which is one of the things he's going to explain that he's, you know, concerned about, um, he, Aragorn, is not committing himself to anything, right? Um, but if... Uh, if he is, if Frodo is legitimate, then he's also signaling to him, I have some inside information, right? And I'm seeing through your devilishly clever deception, uh, that you are successfully perpetrating on the entire rest of the population of Brie. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Lincoln says has Sauron ever tried sending hobbits after Aragorn? Probably not Lincoln, but this could be the first time, right? Especially since it's known that there's a party of hobbits that he's looking for, right? Maybe there's a decoy uh out there, right? Could happen. Could happen. He's got to make sure. Um yeah. Um Yeah, not saying it's likely, but, you know, it could happen. Um, yeah, Tamara's wondering uh, about the gray in Aragorn's hair. Yeah, so, I mean, he is—that's that's an interesting detail, right? Uh, showing a shaggy head of dark hair flecked with gray, right? So he is, of course, much older than he looks, but he doesn't look young. Right? I mean, he doesn't look like he's in his 20s. He looks like he's in his 40s, maybe? Right? I mean, my hair, you can't see too much of my hair anymore. My hair is much more than flecked with gray. I got a lot of gray on both sides, and my beard is fairly decisively gray. I'm only 43, so am I 43? Yeah, I'm 43. Um, so, you know, like, he he looks, he could, he, he, he looked late 30s, early 40s is what he looks, but he's well over than that. Um, yeah, I'm forgetting. He's at least 80, 85? Somewhere between 80 and 90? Uh, yeah, 87. There we go. Yeah. Um, so, he's obviously way older than he actually looks, but again, he doesn't look young. Um, so, experienced, been around, right? He's been around a lot. That's one of the things, again, that's, which you could read from his clothes as well. Um yeah, yeah. Um, Gallandar says, "Yeah, I wonder if Frodo manages um, a poker face in response to Strider's mention of strange visitors to Bree. Um, if he gives anything away, Strider doesn't react. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't. We don't really. We 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 can't really tell. Uh, though it's hard to imagine that." the stiffness of Frodo's response, the, um, uh, his apparent discomfort, right? I I doubt any of this would be hard to, uh, hard for him to interpret. And Erocheb, you're right, we will learn later that he also is faking a a Brie accent through this conversation, right? Um, which is kind of cool and kind of interesting, and really makes me want to know exactly what a Brie accent is like. Uh, but anyway, um, again, the, notice all of the uh, emphasis on his eyes, right? We had the gleam of his eyes, even from under his hood, and now the keenness of his eyes. The adjective keen applied to his eyes twice, you know, in three paragraphs here, right? Um, uh and this is that the eyes are always, there's a very strong correlation in Tolkien's description with somebody's eyes and the sort of strength of their the strength of their will as well, even Gollum, you know whose eyes glow in the dark, such that you can see the tunnel in front of him from behind you know from behind his head right as his eyes glowing uh, are shining out on them. Um, it is like his in, in, even that is sort of a reflection of his uh, of his searching will as well. Um, remember how the gleam in his light in his eyes changes its quality, as we 'll see later on, depending on what aspect of his will is sort of dominant at the time. Um, yeah. And I agree, mad violinist, keen is generally a a positive adjective. Um, yeah. 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 Generally. I agree. Um, yeah, Matt is suggesting they would have a Welsh accent. I like that. I hope they do. I really like Welsh accents, actually. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, I, 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 I want to imagine Butterbur speaking in a Welsh accent. That's totally, that's totally how I want to imagine it. Um, so yeah, good call. Good call. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, orally picture that from now on. Um, Okay. yeah auroran is suggesting that the the grayness of his the grayness combined with the keenness of his eyes would seem to connect him with elves, possibly yeah that there's sort of an elvish air to him um that seems to me quite likely um yeah yeah um anyway notice also. His comments at the end, right? If I were you, I should stop your young friends from talking too much. Drink, fire, and chance meeting are pleasant enough, but, well, this isn't the Shire. There are queer folk about, though I say it as shouldn't, you may think. He added with a wry smile, seeing Frodo's glance. Right, again, he's Frodo not really concealing his thoughts very well from Strider, that's pretty clear, right? And there have been even stranger travelers through Brie lately, he went on. Watching Frodo's face. Do you know who I'm, I'm talking about? The Black Riders here. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. Are you tracking with me here? Um. Uh. I love his uh sort of yeah, uh, uh, Doug. It's a really good way to to, to describe it. His uh, his subtle sense of humor. Right. Uh, his 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 quickness to laugh at himself here. Right, um, though I say it is, shouldn't you may think right? Uh, uh, you know, I like you know, <clears throat> I like his acknowledgement that like I probably look you know stranger than any of the queer folk that I'm warning you of. Right, and how, why should I, who is a pretty strange, who's who's pretty strange even on the stranger spectrum, uh, be the one cautioning you to beware of talking to strangers? Right, um, yeah. Yeah, um, so uh, so I like that his his sort of you know awareness uh, of the situation there I think is really I think is really good, um, and the way the, and the sort of the masterful segue right uh, and there have been even stranger travelers through Bree lately, um, and Mike really likes the chance meeting, yes, um, the hyphenated chance meeting. Right, Mike, as you're as you were pointing to, that's a thing, right? A chance meeting is a thing, um, and it's a pleasant thing, apparently, Mike. Right? So there we are. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good. Frodo returned his gaze, but said nothing, and Strider made no further sign. This is interesting, right? Frodo does not seem to know how to respond to this. I think he is picking up, or maybe picking up, on what Strider is implying, but he's not sure, like, should I acknowledge that I understand what he's talking about? Like, who is this guy and how much does he know? He seems to know that I'm traveling under an assumed name. He seems to be making a reference to the Black Riders. Does that mean he is a spy in their pay and he's, like, you know, trying to rumble me? Or what? Like... You know, there's a lot of uncertainty here, right? And he just, just, you know, uh, doesn't say anything, right? He returns his gaze but says nothing. He has no idea what to say. Frodo, not, you know, James Bond, he is not, (laughs) right? Clearly. His attention seems suddenly to be fixed on Pippin. This is Strider's attention, right? Uh, His attention seemed suddenly to be fixed on Pippin. To his alarm, Frodo became aware that the ridiculous young Took, encouraged by his success with the fat mayor of Mickle Delving, was now actually giving a comic account of Bilbo's farewell party. He was already giving an imitation of the speech, and was drawing near to the astonishing disappearance. Frodo was annoyed. It was a harmless enough tale for most of the local hobbits, no doubt, just a funny story about those funny people away beyond the river, but some, Old Butterbur, for instance, knew a thing or two, and had probably heard rumors long ago about Bilbo's vanishing. It would bring the name of Baggins to their minds, especially if there had been inquiries in Bree after that name. Frodo fidgeted, wondering what to do. Pippin was evidently much enjoying the attention he was getting, and had become quite forgetful of their danger. Frodo had a sudden fear that in his present mood he might even mention the ring, and that might well prove disastrous. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Blue Wizard likes the capital D in Disappearance, an imitation of the speech, and was drawing near to the astonishing Disappearance, right? Those are the major... Uh, uh the, the major features of this story right the speech and the disappearance and you do get the sense this is a this is a story right a story told many times uh a story that's a familiar one in the shire right and these are its primary features right the speech and the disappearance um yeah yeah tony was interested in that one in that one too um yeah yeah um Pippin, getting completely carried away, has become completely forgetful of their danger. Um, and Frodo is annoyed. Right? <laughs> he's annoyed because there's somebody who's even worse at being undercover than he is. Right? And he's annoyed because he doesn't know what to do. Uh, Pippin has put him in a terrible... Situation because he's doing something very stupid, right? He's drawing people's attention to the name of Baggins, and as Frodo has thought out, right? If somebody's been inquiring about Baggins in the town, you know, it's gonna bring it up in people's minds, right? Um, so that's obviously a really dumb thing to do. Um, but what's he supposed to do, right? If he says shut up to Pippin, if he, you know, he comes over to Pippin and is like. Pippin, I think we need some hush right now, right? That's that's just going to draw further attention to it. If he just comes in and drags Pippin away, it's going to look really strange, and people are going to be telling all these, you know, more and more stories. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Yes, Zach. It seems to me very likely uh, that Pippin is Pippin is 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 a little tipsy, right? Um, I don't think that, I don't think that Pippin is sloppy drunk at this point, but Pippin's had a few, uh, and, uh, is clearly experiencing some elevated spirits, has, uh, lost some of his inhibitions, some of which inhibitions it would have been better and safer for him to have kept in touch with, right, during this conversation. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I do, uh. I, I, I do think that uh, the beer has had uh, 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 has played a role uh, certainly in this uh, in this story, um, yeah. But Frodo has no so Frodo has no idea how to handle this tactfully, right? Again, master of espionage he is not. Um, and Mad Violinist, yeah, I agree. He's decompressing after four. Terrible or very strange days. Yeah. And, and this is, and, and this, t- here he is hanging out with other hobbits in the common room of an inn. This is a familiar setting, right? Not totally familiar. Bree's still kind of weird, but, um, but still, this is, this is comfortable. This is nice. Um, and, uh, and he's, he's, he's relaxing. What's wrong with that? Right? Um, you had better do something quick, Strider whispered in his ear. "Whispered Strider in his ear. Frodo jumped up and stood on a table and began to talk. The attention of Pippin's audience was disturbed. Some of the hobbits looked at Frodo and laughed and clapped, thinking that Mr. Underhill had taken as much ale as was good for him. Frodo suddenly felt very foolish, and found himself, as was his habit when making a speech, fingering the things in his pocket. He felt the ring on its chain and quite unaccountably, the desire came over him to slip it on and vanish out of the silly situation. It seemed to him, somehow, as if the suggestion came to him from outside, from someone or something in the room. He resisted the temptation firmly, and clasped the ring in his hand, as if to keep hold on it and prevent it from escaping or doing any mischief. At any rate, it gave him no inspiration. He spoke a few suitable words, as they would have said in the Shire. We are all very much gratified by the kindness of your reception, and I venture to hope that my brief visit will help to renew the old ties of friendship between the Shire and Bree. And then he hesitated and coughed. Okay. Excellent. So, as you guys are, of course, have all been looking forward to, this is another one of those moments where we are clearly seeing the ring acting directly. Now, um... There's a there's a yeah, right bike is like there goes the rest of the class, yeah probably but anyway okay okay, what do we see here right? Is does this impulse come from the ring? I say yes definitely but there are two interesting differences here between the temptation that Frodo is experiencing here and the temptation that he has experienced before. Difference number one, he resists it, right? Remember, the Barrow was the first time we, he ever resisted it. We were noticing, uh, I don't know, he was resistant before, but he he gave in multiple times earlier on. Um, his, his, his record in... Um, uh, in resisting these ring temptations has not been great so far. Um, so... It's interesting, first of all, that he does seem to resist it. And Mad Violinist, that's exactly how I interpret that. So the really interesting thing, the different thing here than we've seen anywhere else, there have been other times when he is clearly, clearly experiencing a temptation which comes from the ring. And we've, we've 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 come to recognize those tags, right? And the pattern, this is exactly the kind of thing the ring has always been tempting him to do, right? The number one thing is put on the ring and escape, Right. Put on the ring and run away. Separate yourself from your friends. Look out for number one. Right. Put on the ring in order to like save yourself and or gain yourself something. That's um, um, that's that's what the ring does. Right. So that seems uh, clear. But the what, the major difference is that he's aware of it as an outside thing. We've seen him struggle with temptation with the ring before. We have never seen him aware of the fact that he was resisting a temptation by something outside himself before, right? That little voice that said, hey, put on the ring. Check and make sure that this ring that Tom Bombadil just made disappear and reappear is really your true ring, right? Um, Why don't you... Uh, you know, why don't you put on the ring and save yourself and you can weep for Merry and Sam and Pippin later on, right? Uh, And it'll be awful. You'll be very, very sad that they died, but at least you will be safe. All of those things, um, he was never aware that it was anything but his own idea that he was thinking and rejecting, right? Um, It's very interesting to me that he is aware of it. Is it coming from somewhere outside in the room? Is there somebody present in the room who is projecting this thought to him? No, I don't think so. I think this is the ring. Still, just like before. But the difference is that he is conscious of it. He is aware for the first time of the fact that he is experiencing a temptation from a source which is not internal to him, in fact. Um, from someone or something in the room. Yeah, the ring, which is in the room. It's in his pocket, right? It's close to his person, but it's outside his brain, right? It is from something in the room, namely the ring in his pocket. Um, and yes, Amathorn, you're absolutely right. He is thinking about the ring at that time, right? He's, he's, he feels the ring on its chain. And as soon as he touches the ring, right, as soon as, he, as, soon as his finger touches the ring, quite unaccountably, the desire came over him to slip it on. Right, so he seems to even associate it with the ring itself. Right, as soon as he touches the ring, this this strong external impulse to put on the ring and escape comes over him. Right, and 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 again, so for the first time, he seems to know. Arucheb e- is suggesting that perhaps his successful resistance of the ring's temptation in the barrow has made him more persp- um, uh, uh, perceptive. Maybe, maybe. Um, uh so anyway, so I'm I'm hundred percent convinced that this is the ring. Um apart from the fact that there's nobody in the room who has the power to do this. I mean, I don't think the squint-eyed southerner has the ability to project that thought into Frodo's mind. Um Strider might have the power to do it, but he's certainly not the one doing it. So um uh so yeah, I th- you know Mad Violina suggests that he's that he's growing, right? Yeah, I do. But but watch what, happens. watch what happens after that, right? So he succeeded, right? The ring has attempted to make him put it on and escape and vanish in front of everybody, and it's failed, right? He's resisted. But look what happens immediately afterwards. It seemed to him somehow as if the suggestion came from outside, from someone or something in the room. He resisted the temptation firmly and clasped the ring in his hand as if to keep a hold on it and prevent it from escaping or doing any mischief. Right? I think the ring still got him. Right? Why did he do that? Why is he putting his hand... Why is he squeezing the ring in his hand when he's talking? Right? Now, you could say that he's suspicious of it. Right. He thinks that this thing, this suggestion is coming from the ring. Uh, he recognizes it as a temptation. Right. That word is used here, which has never been used before in this situation. Um, so he's going to he's fighting back against the ring. Right. By holding it to prevent it to from from escaping. Of course, that's how the ring is ultimately... The, the ring is going to end up on his finger because he's doing that, because he's holding it in his hand. If he weren't holding it in his hand, he wouldn't have had that... He, it wouldn't have revealed itself, right? I think that the ring was one too many for him. Or rather, he resisted, but he only partially resisted. He thinks he's resisting, but he's not totally resisting, right? He doesn't put it on, but he does hold it and squeeze it, right? Um, you know, to look after it because that's to. But that has the flavor of the same rationalization that we've seen the ring induce before, right? Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that this is him. Ra- this is him semi giving in. This is him temporizing with the temptation, not just rejecting it. If he were rejecting it, he would take his finger off the ring and not you know, make sure that nothing could happen, right? Um, Make sure the ring doesn't do any mischief. It's much more likely to do mischief if it's in his hand or to get dropped or something. It's much, it's safer in his pocket, safer in his pocket with his hand out of his pocket, right? If he's really thinking clearly himself about how to keep the ring safe and how to uh, minimize the possibility of any mischief of any kind occurring, it would be to keep his hand out of his pocket and not do anything, right? Um, but I think this is him succeeding in resisting one temptation, but falling for the other, right? Um, or rather, perhaps I would put this a different way. I think it shows the state of his heart to some extent, um... I, uh, Mad Violinus was saying that this would suggest uh, a cunning that points towards sentience in the ring. I I don't think so. I think perhaps I was incautious in saying that. It's, it's easy to characterize this as a, a super devious plan uh, by... The, by the ring, right? That the ring is really doing something like the door-in-the-face technique, right? Uh, where it, it, it gives one temptation which Frodo resists, which then makes it easier for it, for him to fall to the to the much more subtle and much more minor temptation, right, of holding on to it. Um, I uh, um, but I don't think that that's its strategy, necessarily by the ring. I, but I think what it shows is, again, it shows the state of Frodo's heart, right? He is attached to the ring. Um, and he, the, the, the rationalization comes from him, right? Oh, I must, uh, I must make sure like it doesn't get away. Like is seriously, is it going to get away? Now it can happen, right? It happened with Gollum. But, uh, but again, still holding it in his hand, not the way to minimize any chance of anything going wrong. Right. And that no real thinking through of the issue could, I think, really come to that conclusion. Right. So why is he holding it? He's telling himself that he's clasping the ring in his hand to prevent it from escaping or doing any mischief. But that's a rationalization. Why is he holding it in his hand? Because he wants it in his hand. Right. At any rate, it gave him no inspiration. Was he seeking inspiration from the ring? Is he so he's not going to put it on because I'd be stupid right? He's totally going to resist the temptation just to disappear in front of everybody and escape out of the silly situation. Not going to do that. But he is going to cling to the ring, right? He is going to hold on to it um, and tell himself that he's doing this in order to keep it from escaping, right? But I don't think that's the real reason. I think that's a rationalization, right? Um, I think, and and... It, I think he is seeking inspiration from it. You know, at any rate, it gave him no inspiration. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good, good, um, Yeah, um Aruron says, uh, I love how he says, I love how this is such an apt parallel to Bilbo's speech, although Bilbo doesn't sing a song before he disappears, and although Bilbo intended to use the ring, not knowing what it was, whereas Frodo knows what it is, and it falls on him by accident. Yeah, the parallel, right? Um And it is really funny, right? F- uh, F- Pippin is telling the story of Bilbo's disappearance, right? His speech and disappearance. Uh, so Frodo is going to distract attention away, uh, by enacting Bilbo's story, right? By making a speech and then doing an astonishing disappearance. Um, the irony of that is, um, kind of, kind of wonderful, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, um... Yeah. Yeah. No, Bricktails, I agree. The idea of him keeping the ring from escaping. Um. Again, that too. Notice what a cunning rationalization that is, right? On the one hand, sure, he's got to keep the ring safe, right? He can't let the ring get away. But at the same time, he's clinging to it, right? He also wants to hold it tight and to hold it and to hold it to have it in his hand at this moment when he's nervous and feels like he needs help right again i'm not saying he's seeking inspiration from it consciously being like okay ring tell me what to say right he's not saying that to himself right but it suggests that the 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 reference to the inspiration seems to me to suggest that there's even there's at least this sort of subconscious sense in which by clinging to the ring he is um He's showing his, he's showing his attachment to it, but even in a sense his like unconscious reliance on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is a really interesting and complicated moment. Temptation from the ring, which Frodo succeeds, sort of, half succeeds, partially succeeds in resisting. Um, yeah, yeah. One more. Everyone in the room was now looking at him. A song, shouted one of the hobbits. A song, a song, shouted all the others. Come on now, master, sing us something that we haven't heard before. For a moment, Frodo stood gaping. Then, in desperation, he began a ridiculous song that Bilbo had been rather fond of, and indeed rather proud of, for he had made up the words himself. It was about an inn, and that is probably why it came into Frodo's mind just then. Here it is in full. only a few words of it are now, as a rule, remembered. Okay, uh, so no, we're not gonna have time for the song tonight. Uh, the song is the rest of the song sli- I do have I did put the song on slides for tonight. Um, but um. Uh, but we're not gonna... It's too late to start the song. We have five, five slides of poetry, right? Uh, we're not gonna... Uh, we're not gonna... We're not gonna get to all that tonight. Um... The call for a song, uh, on the one hand, um... It's a, it's a really friendly thing, you know, and kind of tells you something about the company, right? About the, the, about the regulars that singing songs and, you know, that this is uh, a thing that they do, right? Um However, it also seems to suggest. I, I take this as a, as a follow up to the previous comment about them thinking that Mr. Underhill had had as much ale as was good for him. Right? Uh, they think he's drunk, which is why he's jumped up on the table and is making speeches now. Right? So they want to capitalize on the situation by inviting him to sing. Right? Because he certainly has weak enough inhibitions now that he'll do that. Right? And he might. And this might be really funny uh, to have Mr. Under. You know. So. They, they want to hear a song they haven't heard before, right? And this could just be totally wholesome, right? But I do think they're kind of inviting him to make a fool of himself because they think it's hilarious, right? And that seems to be part of the spirit of the thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, and Eric I agree. Only a few words of it are now as a rule remembered, is absolutely wonderful. Um, Just to, for a little teaser, uh, the title of my first poetry slide here is A Nursery Rhyme Undone and Its Scandalous Secret Unlocked. That is the subtitle of the original version of this poem. Uh, So the song that Frodo sings here, The Cat and the Fiddle, uh, is, was, as is almost all of the poetry in The Lord of the Rings. Not all, quite, but especially in The Fellowship of the Ring, almost every song in The Fellowship of the Ring is a poem that Tolkien had written years and years before. Um, and uh, he uh, had had published much of it years and years before. And this is one of those. Uh, in 1923, in what the Yorkshire... Oh, shoot, I'm forgetting. Yorkshire something or other. Yorkshire... Not poems. The Yorkshire Magazine, something like that. Um, I'm forgetting the title. Um, he published this poem, 1923, and the title of it was "The Cat and the Fiddle" or "A Nursery Rhyme Undone and Its Scandalous Secret Unlocked." Right. This is the true story behind the cat and the fiddle. You know, so, hey, diddle, diddle, the cat and the fiddle. The cow jumped over the moon. The little dog laughed to see such sport. And the Saturday, uh, uh, you know, and the dish ran away with the spoon. The original nursery rhyme that's very familiar is just looks like a a, a a stream of kind of nonsense images, right? I mean, sort of suggesting a kind of riotous good time uh, in which wildly unlikely things are occurring, but doesn't give any of the story. Right. It just sounds like nonsense, right? But what is the scandalous secret behind the nursery rhyme? Right? Let's undo the nursery rhyme and uh reveal and unlock the scandalous secret of the nursery rhyme and so tell the expanded story. Uh and I love how it builds up to um I love how how it how it how it builds up to uh, you know, sort of the familiar scene and the familiar lines which where we finally come around to the nursery rhyme. Uh Yeah, very good. Um, But yeah, (laughs) Sharon's yelling at me. I will now back slowly away from the poem. I'm not going to talk about it now. Uh, So this is, Sharon, this is me not talking about the poem. This is me contextualizing the poem and therefore kind of temporizing with my own temptation to talk about the poem. See, I'm resisting but like Frodo, I'm resisting, and yet I'm kind of falling to the temptation at the same time. So there you go. Um, anyway, it's all, it's all good fun. One last piece of good fun. Um, this is not the song that Frodo originally sang. Um, th- Frodo was That Frodo was going to get up on the table and end up singing a song was part of the original concept of this chapter uh, when Tolkien first got there. But this isn't the song that he sang in the very first draft, in the first draft, exactly. Brick tales. It was the troll song, Sam's troll song. Troll sat alone on a seat of stone and munched and mumbled a bare old bone, um, and this is understandable. On the one hand, because the troll song is ex- is a drinking song. It's it's explicitly patterned on a pub song, uh, so it's exactly the kind of song that you know the 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 lines, um, you know, heal it peel it, like that. Like the crowd's supposed to join in and sing along with that and with the, repeti- with the repeated lines. Uh, so it's supposed to be a kind of call and response, uh, uproarious pub song kind of situation. Um, so by the way, so in the original version, um, when he sings the song the second time, Frodo ends up falling and accidentally putting the ring on when he gets to the kicking the troll in the seat. Right? He's reenacting the kick. Uh, to the seat of the troll, does that too vigorously, and that's how he slips and falls and puts on the ring in the, uh, uh, in the original draft uh but uh but it w- it wasn't actually very long it was only one draft that it was the troll song and then he shifted it um he cut the troll song temporarily um and uh and inserted this one instead but both of those songs he had written earlier on in the early 20s um uh, the 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 troll song and the uh cat and the fiddle um so it was just a question for him of like which of his of these really fun pre-existing poems of his was he going to use um okay uh, Yeah, so, but no, Tony, this is me resisting, right? I'm totally not talking about the song tonight. Absolutely not talking about the song. Um, Okay, so that's it, because this is me not talking about the song. So we'll talk about the song next time, which sadly will not be for a fortnight. So I will see you guys back in a fortnight. Uh, It'll be... Uh, what, the beginning of March, right? It'll be like March 3rd or some such, something like that. Um, Or 5th, or I don't even know what it's going to be. But anyway, first Tuesday of March, I'll be back. Um, And uh, and we'll talk about the song, and maybe we'll even get past the song. Who knows? Um, Okay. Uh, So, 6th? Yeah, whichever is the Tuesday. <laughs> I, I don't I'm on a need to know basis. Uh, I've got next week and then I'll sort it out after I get back. Thanks everybody. So I was going to say goodbye to the Twitter audience and it's field trip time. Uh, excellent. Um, yeah. Oh, Rinru is great. I was hoping that we were going to get some music, uh, for the, uh, for the song. Great. So, uh, please do, uh, post for me, uh, a recording. I'll, I'll, I'll play it. Um, Next time, uh, that'll be that'll be really cool. So okay, sixth a fortnight from tonight, we'll be back for another class. We're gonna do our field trip now. Uh, thanks everybody on Twitter for joining us. Switch over to twitch.tv slash if you want to stay with us. Thanks to you guys, and there we go. All right, um, and uh, all right. Now we're gonna field trip. Good evening. Because we're not talking about poetry. Because I'm done. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. All right. So you're here. You we've got the Christmas Bjorning, right? Yep. This
2: is Valori here. I'm on God Yule tonight. Hi, everybody.
0: All right. Okay. So let's. Um. We're going to travel really far compared to where we've been lately. Um. <laughs> tonight we're going to go all the way to staddle so <laughs> that'll be that'll be an adventure um, so let's head out we don't even have to mount up for this necessarily
2: no nope, we can do that on foot oh man that thing about bob just about blew my mind
0: i know right i mean I'm barely well, i was, recovered.
2: barely recovered i was thinking recovered. about my i was thinking about my model set too because it only came with one hobbit worker for the prancing pony but Bob was portrayed as a thirteen year old boy chasing a dog that had gotten into the kitchens. Huh.
0: I suppose Bob and could I I had never thought
2: about it till now, but I just I just suddenly realized it only came with one hobbit and a young boy.
0: Oh man. Yeah, no, I I like you know I Bob's still a hobbit as far as I'm concerned. You know, I I'm, Oh, yeah.
2: No, headcanon still accepted. Headcanon, but I do think absolutely. that's funny. That was what Mithril Miniatures interpreted as <laughs> back in the day before it was bought out by Warhammer.
0: That is interesting. That's interesting. Okay, let's uh, kind of wait up in the street here so we can head out together. Mm-hmm. You see, J.J. says he's never even considered the possibility that Bob could be a hobbit. That's so strange to me. Like, how could anyone not picture Bob as a hobbit? It's so obvious.
2: It's like the whole thing about Legolas having blonde hair or black hair. It's never stated, so everyone's left to their own imagination, I suppose.
0: Right. That one, of course, has been obviously significantly influenced by the film, especially nowadays when so many people, uh, you know the The percentage of uh, of Tolkien fans who take Peter Jackson like completely for granted you know has only grown over the years you know um as uh you know I was strongly reminded lately. Um, You know, when the Amazon thing came out and hearing from the number of people like that were following me on Twitter who were not around or not old enough, you know, for that period of anticipation before the Peter Jackson films came out, you know. Um, Uh So, yeah, to so many Tolkien fans in today's world, you know, the. the, there's you know they don't remember a time before those films existed. Um and before so Gimli
2: had red hair. <laughs> before Gimli had
0: red hair and yes, exactly. Before yeah, all that all that kind of thing. Um yeah. But anyway, this is a fascinating Like the whole the Bob question is now like that's gonna be, I think, like a, a sort of a paradigm for me. Alright, let's 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 head out let's, let's, let's head over to Staddle. The
2: Bob effect.
0: Yeah, because it's a real you know of as far as like Questions in that category, right, where nothing the text doesn't say explicitly uh, and that people can have such a, you know, it's obviously just as weird to many others that Bob could be a hobbit as it is to me that he could be a man. Right. And so, you know, just interesting that this text has, you know, led us to such very different um
2: Interpretations.
0: Yeah, conclusions. I mean, it's it's very... We'll have strange. to see where
2: else it pops up, won't we?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to see if there are other examples of that. Of course, I might miss them, because it might not even occur to me, as it would never have occurred to me to even question this. Um, yeah. Just amazing. Um, yeah, Milthalia says she always assumed that Bob was Nob's brother. Now, let's see. Where should we go? Should we go up this way? Is this the way to go to the... Staddlegate?
2: I think I don't know if this way's an exit.
0: But... Hey, where Where is this? Have I even? This is an alley. Have no, I ever been is, here?
2: This is new. No, this we is... went past the staddlegate. It was back up by the crafting hall.
0: Oh, was it? Was that the way? I think so. Hang on. Sorry. Or was that the way to? I'm Cole? just finding myself in a part of Bria I've never been in. I never even came up this alley before. Is there anything up here?
2: Me neither. This used to be the place where you had the box of nails, and then you kind of ignored the rest.
0: Wow. Yeah. Look wow. at this. This is cool.
2: Oh, it connects. Oh, wait, It connects. It can, here this it is. Is, oh, So, so this We're is the, the way to gate.
0: Look at that. Okay. Oh. Hey, that's a cunning little alley passageway.
2: It, it is amazing that after I've been playing the game this long, I'm still finding that there's all these places <laughs> I've never seen before and Eight. don't know where they go.
0: Yeah. Okay, so this is the Staddle Gate. Yep. So we've got people training here. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Is this is this like a little guardhouse by the gate?
2: Oh, well, it's one of them.
0: I guess. You just can't be too careful, I guess, with those, you know, hobbits from Staddle. They might <laughs> decide to mass up and attack at any point.
2: It's cl- bands of roaming midges.
0: Yeah. Okay, we've got a little Arnorian wall up here. Right, Picnickers. Yeah, picnickers on the other. Okay, now we have immediately hobbit holes around the side. So notice how Staddle is not—it's not separate. I mean, it's separate. We're outside the gates, right? But we're starting to get hobbit holes immediately mm-hmm. uh, outside the gates. So it's not—it's uh, not, you know, sort of physically or or kind of uh, geographically removed. Right, uh, so yeah, as, as JJ was pointing out, they're, they're they're just along the lane up to the gates, right? So it's as if they're part of the same same thing. And this is right. Oh, and here we are in the very middle of Staddle. Hey,
2: a wooden gazebo for a change.
0: Yeah, a wooden gazebo with nothing else on it, and that's the Staddle banner, or is it the Breton uh-huh. banner? Is that it just looks Staddle? like no,
2: no. Breeton had the boar on it.
0: Right, Bre- That's right, Breeton. So this is this is the separate flag of Staddle. Uh huh. Right. Hill. Yeah. Trees. Oop. Three trees. Three trees. What's the wavy business under the trees? Uh I can't really tell. Is there another one I can get closer to? Yes, there is. Uh, yes, right here. Yeah, here we go. Uh
2: wings. Oh that was the one i was I was joking it looked like two green owl eyes and two wings sticking out but right
0: oh I see the owl eyes right there under the roots of the trees there right yep yep huh
2: it could almost be a hobbit holder coming out of two but that would imply it was in disrepair
0: right interesting mm-hmm. um I wonder why trees I mean there are trees I don't know what's the
2: stattle? what's the etymological root of staddle? That might have some
0: clue to yeah. it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean bree means hill. Uh-huh. So it's like that is it's just another one of those, you know, like the water in Lake Town and you know all those other things. Um,
2: oh, oh, it says a staddle is a platform or a framework. Or really? a mushroom-shaped a mushroom-shaped stone supporting a framework or rick.
0: Huh. Interesting.
2: Uh, based on the German word uh, to stand. Okay. So supports that uh, I don't see how these trees are support. It looks like two trees supporting one tree, or yeah. but they I'm not sort sure. of look like I'm they're not, about to tip over.
0: I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not 100% convinced that that etymology is necessarily very relevant here, or not directly relevant. Uh, it says Maybe. it comes
2: from the Old English staffel for base, or support.
0: Yeah. No, it's not that I'm uh, questioning that. I'm just questioning whether it's relevant to the town of Staddle.
2: I don't know. I don't know. That's the only thing I could find on it. And there's yeah. precious little...
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I, I agree... Um, Pontine, This definitely is a hill, with layers of dirt. It's a surprisingly non-Hobbitish banner.
2: It's yeah, for all the humans are, here, I haven't. Yeah. And for all the humans here, I haven't seen really any human dwellings. Just human
0: structures. Right. Tony is suggesting that it means that it's at the base of the hill. Staddle is. And so yeah, it,
2: it kind of is. There's also a lot of trees here. Maybe that's where some of the timber comes from. Yeah. That's. Maybe Possibly, they get I
0: mean, their temp- there are yeah I mean there are trees here but you would think like archit might be symbolized by trees because it's oh it's right the near Chetwood? Chetwood yeah, yeah exactly yeah. but Staddle is farm country I mean again like there are trees oh, oh, right maybe, but
2: maybe this is the tree maybe this is the tree next to those old ruins that big golden tree
0: maybe you think
2: that's what it is but it's not golden. Maybe it's no. maybe it's golden now because it's diseased or something.
0: Right, I don't know.
2: But but that was a pretty singular tree. It was very decorated and important.
0: It was rather unusual. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. The banner is a curiosity. I don't understand the banner in the game, but um, but so let's look around. One thing that we notice right away that I think is very striking about Stato, although we see one hundred percent hobbit holes so far. Um, We get humans all over the place, right? This is a guard, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? Constable Tanglebrush, Tanglerush, Tangle Tangle Rush, right? I said brush, rush, Rush. yes, Tangle Rush.
2: That's a rather foreboding name.
0: Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, Getting
2: tangled in the rushes is generally a bad and or deadly thing.
0: (laughs) Right. And now we have other uh, uh, watchers with botanical names. Right? Reedy and Redweed. But then we have hobbits up here, right? The Burr family and the Lowbanks. So we have one with the natural name of Lowbanks and another with a botanical name, Burr. Um, So we have local hobbits. So there seems to be more mingling. It's uh, certainly one of the things we're seeing so far is it suggests that most of the watch uh, are men, right? The constables and the, you know, like. The law enforcement personnel uh, appear to be more big folk than Hobbit, at least what we're seeing here initially, right? We've mm-hmm. got this little this Hobbit guy, Longo, right, with his dog.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We okay. see some human merchants over here, right? But then also yeah. some Hobbit merchants next to him. Up to, to now,
2: him. the only watchers we've seen is the one in uh, Coombe, uh, Constable Underhill.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. No, so we will see a Hobbit. Uh, member of law enforcement in Coombe. We haven't in Archit, which is curious because Archit is so, or sorry, uh, Staddle, rather, is so hobbit heavy. Um, this woman over here running the uh, uh, running the fishing supplies, uh, also human. So we're getting a lot of human-like support staff around here, right? Um, and yet yeah, yeah, yeah. all all hobbit houses. We haven't seen a single human residence anywhere in town. Um, nope. But let's continue out. So we had uh, we had the whole side of the Bree Hill that was over there lined with hobbit holes. Um, and uh-huh. then we had hobbit houses, because of course, where it's flat, you can't always have hobbit holes. There's another hobbit house, meant to look like a hole. Another
2: underhill loves there. Ponto Underhill.
0: Right. And here's one. Look at this. It's This looks almost like an artificial prize. This looks, I mean, I guess it's not actually a leech field, but it kind of looks like a a leech field. Anyway, so this is, uh, uh, right, what's his name, Ponto?
2: Falco Greenhand.
0: Falco, Falco, right. Falco, uh, the gardener, right?
2: Yeah, for the name, like, Greenhand, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, so we've got Hobbit Farmers here. Uh Uh-huh. Right,
2: Gammy Boggs.
0: Good old Gammy Boggs. <laughs> I
2: love that name. That's a great one.
0: And I, I, my favorite is the little Hobbit farm outbuilding here. Right? Is this like this? Is like what is this? A shed or is this? A, is this a separate Hobbit house? Is this a little? Is, is this the a mother-in-law little, law suite? Exactly. I was just going to say that a little Hobbit <laughs> in-law suite, detached in-law suite over here, uh, or a fancy privy. Right. Exa- maybe. Maybe it's a deluxe outhouse, I don't know, um but uh yeah, exactly, Zach. It looks like I guess Hobbits and Staddle have tiny houses, right, so there you go, um
2: well, oh, this is a nice big house. this one's got towers on it now, yeah, next door here? this
0: one over here. it looks like uh, it, you know it reminds you of some of the the bigger towns like in Budgeford or um Speedhouse. or even like 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 Brandy Hall, right, yeah. Um. Yeah, so Staddle, therefore I mean, so the the in-game Staddle is 100% Hobbit residence and yet we mm-hmm. are seeing a mixture of people. Now notice we haven't seen any humans out here, right? Presumably there might be watchers who do patrols out here. In fact...
2: I think there's one human farm out here. I'm is there? I'm not sure. You're closer to Bree.
0: Okay. Yeah, let's go. Let's see if we if we go down where where are we right now? We're oh the map. That'll so take us
2: right to the here. box.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's the Midgewater Marshes, which we'll get to before too long. If we
2: cycle back around, we get to that big weird tree, and then we're going to see some human farms, I think.
0: Yeah. So wait, so which way are you saying if we head south from here or north from here?
2: No, if we if we switch around
0: this uh, this little tree here, I oh, just f- follow the road down around here. You mean? Okay. Yeah, right.
2: follow the road down around here.
0: Okay. So now we are. What are we? Let's see. What, what is this direction? This is pointing us towards. Oh, the skirmish camp. That's not that helpful. Um, okay. So we are. Okay, see, we ah, got so, the ah, this tree right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, the yellow tree. Yeah, I
2: don't know if it's—I don't know why it's perpetually yellow. That's generally a sign that it's sick.
0: Right. Right. Oh yeah, we did skip uh, Constable Bulger. Um,
2: yep. Oh yeah, that's that's another Hobbit watcher. We got some uh, some unfriendlies out here.
0: Yes, the lots of boars and bears yeah let me who are relatively take hostile out some of these guys um yeah well we'll come back to this tree um but we are so this is the sort of the wild area outside of town, and again, you can see just as we're coming onto the outskirts again where did constable uh-huh. constable Bolger go i wanna i want I wanna see him isn't he, he's down around in the southern part, right?
2: yeah, he's right around here,
0: as I recall from dim memories Oh, of the,
2: yep this one. I think it's this one Candy right here.
0: Quests. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, there he is. Constable Bulger. And he is, in fact, wearing the same livery as the constable, that woman constable in town. So they do work together. Mm-hmm. JJ, he said, I miss Mickle Delving. I wonder what they're serving, at, what the they're serving at the
2: Komen Waddle. what oh. they're serving at the Waddle.
0: Oh. so he's actually a Shire Hobbit, a displaced Shire Hobbit.
2: Well, Komen Com- Waddle is in Coombe, though.
0: Right. But JJ's saying that he, he, he says he's, he was saying that he misses w- Mickle Delving. Yeah, there oh, he is. Yep, there he is. Yep, missing I miss Mickle Delving. Delving. So oh,
2: he- so he's an immigrant.
0: Right. That's fascinating. Huh. What yeah. so if he is he's sp- one of the
2: little boys and girls that Gandalf spirited out here on an adventure and he settled here?
0: Right. A bulger? That seems unlikely, but apparently... I dare those ruffians to show their faces. Yes, I remember. He's, he's
2: a spunky old fella, isn't he?
0: Yeah. With a full head of gray hair. He's been around. hmm Um... But yeah, I mean we could guess from the name Bolger that he was from the Shire is you know, we we know that there are some names that are in common, the natural names, right? Um uh-huh. but uh but yeah, no, he's from Nickel Delving, apparently.
2: Natural names. You're still gonna say that like a hobbiton snob, aren't
0: you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There's the natural names and then there's the botanical names. Um yeah, and I agree, J.J., that the Coman Waddle is a great tavern name. That's... Uh, yes. It is really excellent. Um, do we ever get... Does anyone recall anything of Constable Bulger's story? I mean, I know we interacted with him at several points. I remember turning in quests with him and fighting off... Uh, you know, an insurgence of brigands with him at one point,
2: yeah, I think uh one of the farmers was uh a victim of a protection racket
0: uh-huh. but uh right,
2: but bolger wouldn't wasn't able to help him until he was ready to admit it and tell them when and where they were coming I think
0: right, right,
2: so I think that was the issue,
0: right, but in the context of that, we don't ever learn anything about his his backstory, right,
2: not the constables, no, just the poor fellow who yeah. was uh yeah. Who's the victim of that scam?
0: Right. Um, right, and and it's one of the Hobbit farmers in town, right? Who's getting pressurized by the by the
2: by the biggins. by the brigands.
0: Right, those ruffians. I love the word ruffian. Always have.
2: It's a great one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so. The depiction of Staddle in the game, in general, appears to be an acknowledgement of the, you know, those lines we've been talking about quite a lot, you know, for the last few weeks. Um, That paragraph that talks about the big people and the little people generally keeping to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We know, of course, that there are hobbits from Staddle right several of the hobbits at the you know in, in the company are are uh, described as being from Staddle and so they seem to have taken that uh, to to and and expanded that uh, to actually have Staddle be an almost entirely Hobbit com- no really an entirely Hobbit community and yet we can still see that we have these connections right the fact that the constables and watchers and merchants and things, many of them uh, working in Staddle are human, showing that they do work together and they they are part of the overall community. That also seems to be fairly clear, right? That they um, the people of the Breelands do sort of uh, consider each other like one community group, not you know, mm-hmm. separate community groups.
2: At the same time, you can see there's a definite sort of like uh, uh, sort of inverse version of Staddle in how Combs laid out. Right. Where it's all human houses, but we have some hobbits living there and doing right. doing jobs there. Right. So you can see they're living together, but one picks which one they're most comfortable with.
0: Yeah. They live apart, but they interact and work together. Seems to be so, the kind of culture. They're almost
2: like have. two commuter towns exchanging.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does certainly seem that the, <laughs> they're humans who commute to Staddle to work. Right. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And we will see the. We it's will gotta see. Got to be rough
2: upset. with all those bears on the road.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah. I. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting choice, though, to have this guy, Constable Bolger, the only member of law enforcement who is a hobbit in the in this town of hobbits, be be an emigrant, right, from the Shire. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, well, the other one in Underhill is clearly a Bree native.
0: Right, right. Yeah, oh, it's very interesting. Um, let's, do we have time to go to Coombe? We can go to Coombe. Yeah, it's
2: just over the hill. Let's not cut through the bears for the benefits of those who are not able to do so. All right. Probably best if we go back to the main road over here.
0: Okay, let's go back to the main road.
2: This is when I found out that hobbit lanterns are head height when you're on horseback.
0: All right. So we're going to go back right by the main road. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. So we'll circle back around. I like the fact that they have a dock <laughs> here by the staddle mare. I mean, they it's don't more like a
2: fish. It's like a fishing pier. I think it has
0: to be for fishing, right?
2: Yeah. Let's see what else it'd be for unless they're floating paper boats.
0: Right. Presumably not fish, not swimming, and there are. There's no evidence of boats.
2: Well, well, the bu- the Buckland hobbits swim. Do we know if the Breeland hobbits hate swimming?
0: We don't know it for sure. The only reason that the Bucklanders seem to be different is because of their proximity to the river. Um,
2: you could say the same for stock, but they don't swim.
0: Yeah, well, they're less, you know, <laughs> weird. They're more... Sh-
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because they're closer to Hobbit, and, you know, so they're they're more natural. What
2: kills most Hobbits? Social stigma. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so here we are in entering Coombe now first we get just as the now the the lane right out from Bree was lined with hobbit holes here in Coombe we get this one house boarded up uh-huh. windows this house looks like it's seen better days uh uh-huh. huh
2: definitely yeah. hard times already
0: um oh, beekeepers, though. Bees are still active.
2: Bees to keep to themselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's really the three different peoples of Bree, each minding their uh-huh. own affairs. You know, the hobbits and the big people and the bees, apparently.
2: This looks like it could be the, the a watch house, though, because it's so close to the gate.
0: It does kind of look like that, but it's clearly been... Oh, well, I don't know if abandoned, but okay, so here we have the same same flag same flag, different colors though,
2: oh yeah, huh S- but still the same three trees, maybe the trees are supposed to represent Brie Kustat
0: see, I was just thinking that too, okay, theory <laughs> this is the Brie land flag, right, oh, whereas yeah. the Boer one is the Brie town flag.
2: Okay. Right.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's why there's a hill here and you've got the three trees growing together like out of the top of the hill, right?
2: Or in the Chetwood sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So have so, you know, uh, trees then would make a little bit more sense, right? Cuz the two dominant geographical features of the region are the Bree Hill and the Chetwood. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean, if I were the people of Archit, I'd be pretty mad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, why is it three instead of four? Um, Unless this is the flag of everywhere but Brie, Unless it's the Staddle, Coom, and Archit flag.
2: Could be, could be. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Not really sure. Well,
2: Archit was pretty dang small, though. I don't know if
0: it yeah, warrants is flag. pretty small. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what we find for flags. Now Half we have of a wooden the town palisade is made up of
2: ruins that nobody goes into.
0: Right, exactly. We have a wooden palisade, which is interesting by itself. Uh-huh. Right. Um, now Brie is, of course, a walled town. So this seems to be sort of following in the footsteps of Brie, in a sense. Right. Um, uh huh. But it's—I don't know—it's in a protected valley here, right? So yeah, definitely, uh, they can just have the palisades along the main entrances. Uh, we see no hobbit holes, right? All human nope. buildings.
2: Yep.
0: All through here, mostly human people. Until we get to the law enforcement dude up here, who is? It
2: seems like he has a pretty. Big
0: job. On Underhand, yeah. yeah. He seems to have some authority. Notice his, uh, his waistcoat is different, right?
2: Yeah.
0: He's got a fancier waistcoat than the other constables we saw. It
2: looks like interwoven leaves.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This would clearly, this clearly suggests to me that he outranks, uh, Constable Bulger, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he
2: is also, this place looks a little tougher and meaner. I get the feeling that Bulger was put on what they figured would be the easier job.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, Underhill's got to have some moxie and possibly some troops to help.
0: Yeah, and he does. I mean, like, so this guy, isn't this guy Constable, too? Yes, he is. That's what I thought. Yep. And he's got yep. the same or close to the same... uh you know, breastplate, waistcoat, whatever it is. What's the symbol within the, like in the, in the, in those two quadrants?
2: Uh. What is that? I need to up my graphics. Hang on. (laughs) Let's see. What do we got here?
0: Uh, squirrels? Um wings uh butterflies manta rays uh, uh,
2: <laughs> raviolis
0: we're just yelling heads. stuff now horse heads wait they are yeah, horse heads JJ, it is a it. horse head that's it yep. okay i see the head of the horse facing to the left and this one to the right there's the mane of the horse okay they're horses yep all right, all right.
2: constable sage for maybe it's mounted police
0: Except they're always dismounted, but...
2: But the stables are right over there.
0: Also, his horse heads are in different quadrants of the little shield symbol than Constable Bulger's were.
2: You get the feeling the Watchers just sort of wear their own family coat of arms and and hang the rest, you know?
0: Maybe... No, no, this is the same kind of pattern as both Constable Bulger and Constable... What's-her-name? the human that we first saw at the entrance to mm-hmm. style. They or yeah. Tang-
2: tangle Reed. Tangle, tangle, tangle,
0: rush. tangle rush. That's it. Tangle rush. Yeah. Constable Tangle rush. No, I was trying to, uh, I was trying to make out whether or not that could be a boar's head. Uh, JJ, but I, I can't, I can't, it does yeah,
2: look like a white horse
0: head. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, maybe maybe the different quadrants are supposed to suggest rank because there definitely was, Bolger had different quadrants there. But in any case, both of them are different. Oh, it's this, this it's this guy. That's uh, this
2: guy. It's the same. He's got the two quadrants.
0: Wait, which? Oh, it's because right, there's another constable yeah. here, right?
2: Yep, same one. He just walked by.
0: Oh, right. And he had the the same one. It was uh,
2: northwest and southeast.
0: The mobile guy. Okay. Uh Uh-huh.
2: Right. Oh, look, we got a hobbit living in a human dwelling. Over here? Yeah, right over here. Her name is Townsperson.
0: Yeah, that's not very botanical. Um, No. I should have just stayed at home instead of coming to this horrid place.
2: Oh, maybe she's from... She doesn't live here. Maybe she she's got a basket, maybe she's on an errand.
0: Yeah, maybe she's selling. What is she selling? She got something in the basket. What's in the basket?
2: Cheese bread. It's brown whatever it is. Looks like bread and cheese I think with it's a knife. Bread, yeah. Maybe she's visiting family?
0: Oh yeah, no yeah, probably cheese. Probably cheese. Um, is Constable Ren JJ the one who's up the hill?
2: Uh yeah, might be.
0: All right, hang on. We have to go. We have to go check that We have to go inspect this. Okay. All right. So we still have this red tree banner all through the town. So it's clear that that is the red version is associated with Coombe. All right. Let's go check out Constable Red. If you're
2: a developer watching this, by the way, please leave a note. We'd love to know what was going on when you guys designed these.
0: <laughs> yeah. Whoa. What is it? Oh, okay. No, I see. It is there. Hang on. It's a different color, though. Totally different. Yeah, see, color. it's. See.
2: I swear, these guys just make it up as they go.
0: Let's see. Oh, yeah. Look at that. She's northeast and southwest.
2: Uh huh.
0: Yeah, I think it's a rank thing.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: I think it's a rank thing. She's also wearing chainmail. Was the other guy wearing chainmail? I don't think he was. I.
2: Don't know. I think he was wearing cloth armor, but I'm not positive.
0: How about this guy over here? Uh, it looks like scale southeast. mail. Southeast. Yeah, this guy is. This guy is just like the dude down the hill, Mr. Uh-huh. Guard here.
2: Well, it doesn't imply Ren is in a number and high, much higher rank than everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's a ranking, except not like Underhill, who is got his... Brought his
2: own armor from home, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Totally fancy. No, I think it's just a distinction of some kind.
2: It is very botanical looking with all the leaves.
0: Yeah. Alright, hang on, I gotta go see. Okay, I was not really planning on investigating the livery of the constables quite this closely, but it is an interesting question. Um, What is this... I swear
2: it looks like Hops and... It bar- looks like hops and barley. And it does.
0: It's it's uh, very misleading. Leading you yeah, to think that this is a brewery when it's not a brewery. Craft
2: Beer Hall.
0: Craft Beer Hall. <laughs> yeah. That must be what they mean. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose... went in
2: there and all I got was this leather.
0: <laughs> I suppose you could craft beer in there. If, you... if you're a cook. If you're a cook. But yeah,
2: no, there's beer,
0: there's beer recipes and mead recipes. Oh, okay, right, there's the Coleman Waddle. Hang on, we got we to gotta see. Excuse me, Constable Underhill. I need to see your... Okay. So what are those? Those are just leaves, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Looks like just intertwined leaves.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a face in the middle? Yeah, there's a oh, face. Oh, like a green man? Yeah, Something and are those snake heads or just stems of
2: Uh, it looks like some kind of ivy I don't
0: know maybe so the six leaves yeah and then the weird face in the middle and it's it's he is wearing chainmail, JJ. you're right
2: yeah he definitely has some sort of uh, brocade on the back
0: Hmm. Yeah. Fancy, but not much more than just fancy. No. Uh,
2: it looks more decorative than yeah, protective.
0: No queer. S- no queer. It's def- well, it's- there.
2: well. The other ones look like they could be armor. This is definitely a sur- to
0: Yeah. Well, though, though he's he seems to be wearing chainmail under it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. So. Yeah, after sorry. Yeah. Resolving. You guys can go pressing- in the
2: training hall and. You guys can go in the training hall and see if there's any in things later. I don't know. Right. Hey. <laughs> Take notes. Report back. All
0: right, hang on. I do. Have to, I do want to check out the training hall for a second.
2: <laughs> Me and my big mouth.
0: I forgot. <laughs> hang on. What I'm looking for is. Okay, horses. Prison. Is there a prison in here?
2: Oh, I don't do you have know. Any
0: cells? Uh, well, there's a door that looks like it might lead to the basement, but no. I don't think so. This is
2: definitely a training hall more than a guardhouse. Look at all the yeah. books everywhere.
0: Lots of books. Lots of books. Be- a hobbit.
2: Lots of trainers. She's a
0: brock house.
2: And a burglar trainer.
0: Yeah. Okay. So do-
2: she's a Brelander with that name then, right?
0: Yeah, but it's a natural name, so it's it's all yep. so good. Uh, and, yeah. yes, there are bookcases all over the place in our highly literate Bree land, as mm-hmm. we were seeing last time.
2: None of them history books, then.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, just a training hall, not a prison. Just wanted to check and see if they had the yeah. – I guess they ship all their inmates to Bree, right? So.
2: Well, there was a Stocks and uh, Archit too.
0: Uh. Right. Yes. Right. But we haven't gotten to Archit yet. Um, okay, now we're not well, seeing... Well, it's not there
2: now. I think it's all burnt down. <laughs>
0: oh, well, right. Archit used to be more impressive than it is now. Um, we're not seeing farms, just houses.
2: Nope. Uh, some fishing, too. There's, like, fishing pole. Right. We know there's a lake over there.
0: What, the Staddlemere? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Okay, so wait, what's up this No,
2: not the Staddlemere, this this, this little little pond over here.
0: Yeah. Um, is is, Is this, that's this, right, where I'm headed towards? Yep. Right.
2: Oh, a few more houses over here. I
0: thought there was just the one, but apparently there's a lot more than I remember. Yeah, no, this is the compound of, like, the Shady Woman, right? Uh-huh. The dog breeder. Yes, the dog breeder of dubious moral reputation.
2: <laughs> are these all our house, or just this one with the cages?
0: I don't know. Yeah, are these outbuildings, or are these just other folks' houses?
2: I think they're other this, houses.
0: This is a they're... big building, though. It doesn't look much like a house.
2: Looks like a boarding house or an inn or something.
0: Exactly, or a barracks or some kind of public building. Another Fishing area. Lodge? Fishing Lodge.
2: Oh yeah, there's another one way back there.
0: Yeah. Oh so, yeah,
2: definitely the this little lake here is definitely enough that... Uh,
0: yeah, you can fish here.
2: Well, I remember one of your first quests is to help somebody get their fishing pole back because it's their livelihood.
0: Right. So there is an implication of people actually fishing for a living. Even the Joy, what was her name, the uh, fisher trainer in Staddle seemed to be, uh, you know, was like drying and selling fish.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Okay. So yeah, not quite sure what most of the people here in... Uh...
2: Uh, lumber camp. They have a lumber camp. There's That's a lumber what it camp?
0: Ah, oh, uh-huh. right. The one up, up over the hill. Right. Yes. Yep. Okay. So we uh, seem to have the people of Coombe uh, getting their livelihood from the forest.
2: Uh-huh. also
0: puzzled by the stumps here in the middle of town that we see over there.
2: It's like they haven't finished building it.
0: Right, or why have they cut down a bunch of trees in the middle of town?
2: This is a really big house, too. No indication of what it's for.
0: Yeah, that's true. This looks like it could be like the, you know, the house of the mayor of Coombe or something like that, right here in the square. Uh Uh-huh. It looks like a private house with just a big house. That inn looks like a
2: good house with the whole town.
0: Yeah, the (laughs) common wattle is enormous. Think the prancing pony would start to feel a little threatened by that—the size of that thing.
2: Yeah, but it doesn't have the location.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's
2: certainly—it's not the lifeblood of any
0: yeah, you know no, metropolitan. It just, park. Yeah, no, it just can't really, can't really compete.
2: You could tell it's the lifeblood of the town, though.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we will. Uh, I should I should let people go now. Next time we no. will we will continue on up towards Archit and then uh to the Chetwood uh and uh sort of explore around there too. Um and then we'll sort of spread outwards to explore the rest of Breeland uh from there. So uh-huh. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to let everybody go. Thanks for joining me. Again, don't forget, uh, I will not be here next week, so I will see everybody back again in a fortnight. Thanks, everybody.
2: Hi. Good night, night, everyone. Good night, everyone.
0: Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.